Let's pray. Lord, this morning, we submit this time into your hands. What a privilege it is, Lord, to bring your people the word. What a privilege it is to stand up here and share. Lord, I pray that right now you will help my words not to fall to the ground, but to pierce deeply into the hearts of people. Bring us light today, Lord, and give us a turning in our hearts to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. A little while ago, I was um, taking an Uber, and my driver was this big Hungarian guy. And I felt to say to him that God loves you. So that started a conversation about Jesus, and five minutes later, he said the sinner's prayer and accepted Jesus as his savior. Salvation is not a man convincing another man of a fact. Salvation is God convicting the spirit of a man that he is a sinner and he needs a savior called Jesus. Salvation is a spiritual work. But so many times we try to connect with people through our soul, through our intellect and our emotions, hoping that it will bear spiritual fruit. But the Bible says deep calls to deep. It is spirit that will minister to spirit. Soulish engagements can never bear spiritual fruits. For God to be able to use a man, God must be able to use the man to release spirit life. The passage for us this morning is John 12, verse 24, where Jesus says, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Inside of your life and my life is spirit life. And there is that potential for that spirit life to be released to bless many other people. But the question is not whether or not we have life. The question is whether or not our outer man, our flesh and our soul are broken enough for that life to be released to the world. There are two ways that God will work through a man to break him so that God can use a man. The first way that God breaks a man is called consecration. In the Old Testament, the God's people didn't understand this concept of dying to themselves because they had animal sacrifice as substitutes to die for them. What they did understand was the concept of consecration. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. He was talking about the day before God would bring them into the promised land and he says, consecrate yourselves so that God will bring you into the promised land. How did the Israelites consecrate themselves? It was quite simple. They simply had to wash themselves and their clothes. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. To the Israelites, they lived in the desert. So washing clothes was not the luxury they had very often. For the whole tribe of Israel to wash their clothes was a big deal. Many times, what is physical in the Old Testament is spiritual in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God's people were the physical descendants of Abraham. In the New Testament, it's the spiritual descendants of Abraham. In the Old Testament, they waged physical war against their enemies. In the New Testament, we do wars against principalities. It's a spiritual warfare. In the Old Testament, God's people had a physical promised land they would enter. In the New Testament, we enter a spiritual promised land called the kingdom of God. In the Old Testament, they had to change their clothes to consecrate themselves. In the New Testament, we change our identity to consecrate ourselves. What does that changing of our identity look like? Colossians chapter three, verse five and 10 says this, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. 
and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of his creator. So to put off or to put to death, and then I put on, that's the imagery of putting on new clothes. What we put on is the image of Christ. The process of which we put on the image of Christ is to be renewed. The word renewed here is the same word that is used in Romans chapter 12, verse two, where it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word renew here is the Greek word anekinosis, which means to renovate. If you have ever seen any renovation shows like The Block, you will know two things about renovation. The first is, renovation takes time. It's not an instantaneous process, it's a process over time. And for us, that renovation is gonna take place the whole of our life. The second thing you know is that by the end of the renovation, when you compare before and after, after looks nothing like the starting state. When God is done renovating you and me, we will look completely different from how we begin spiritually. But the work of renovation that God is doing in our lives is not an intellectual work, it's a spiritual work, which means that when God is done with us, people will not look at us and be impressed with how intelligent we are. People will look at us and be amazed at the life that could come out of us. I want you to imagine that God is the sun, okay? He is the source of light. In fact, He is light itself. God is the sun. You and me, we are simply people in a very dark room with a small pen torch. The, the pen torch shines light on limited issues in our life and consecration is that our response or our submission to God over the things that we have light on in our lives. When I was uh, very early in my uni days, I just started to follow God. I didn't really understand much about this whole Christian life. And I had a good friend who was a recently converted Buddhist. So the two of us were very lost and young in our faith. We happened to stumble into leadership role and we were leading a small group of Christians. And our meeting grew. We were meeting in my room and then we needed a bigger room. My friend, the one who was the recently converted Buddhist, he had a bigger room. But the problem is that his room had posters of women who were skimpily cladded. And so our first leadership meeting was arguing and debating, looking at the Bible and praying about whether or not he should take down those posters from his room. The light in us was so dim that consecration in those days was taking down posters from his room. Move forwards a few years, God begins to convict me. Missionary comes to town, give her your money. So give an offering. Emptying my bank account then was a big consecration, a big sacrifice to God. Move forward a few more years. God is challenging me. Give me your identity. Give me your sense of security. So slowly but surely, God is beginning to claim more and more of me. Now what happens if I resist God? If God is trying to convict me to change my lifestyle but I refuse to change? The point of consecration for God's people was so that they could enter the promised land. In the time of Moses, it was so that they could see God himself. The more we consecrate ourselves to God, the more God shows us of himself. In other words, we grow in maturity as a Christian. But if we refuse to submit to God, then we cannot progress on any issue. The first time the Israelites were told to go into the promised land, they refused and they walked in the desert for 40 years. If we refuse to submit to God on issues, we will keep walking around in the desert until God can deal with that issue in our life. I met a young lady who was about 22 years old and she told me, I, I had an argument with my boyfriend and I want to break up with my boyfriend. 
So I said, what happened? And he said, he, I texted him and he did not reply for three hours. And I said to her, sometimes I don't reply my wife for five hours. And she says, I know it's a trivial thing, but I get so hurt and so I argue with him and now I feel like running away from this relationship. So I ask her, has this happened before? And she says, yes, in my last few relationships this has happened. How many boyfriends have you had? I've had 12 boyfriends and they all ended in a similar manner. I said to her, woman, you can run from this issue, but I guarantee you in another day, another relationship, the same issue is going to come to haunt you. It is better for you to deal with this issue today. When I had mentees, I used to ask them two questions when we meet up. How is your walk with God and what is God dealing with you? If they say God is dealing with me on this issue, we will talk about it, we will pray about it. If six months down the track, they are still struggling with the same issue, I say to them, you need to get more serious and intentional. You need to deal with this issue with God. If 12 months later, they are still struggling with the same issue, I look at them in the eye and I say to them, there is something wrong with your walk with God. How can it be that in one whole year, God can only deal with one issue in your life? How is God ever going to be able to use you? Even a hundred years will not be enough. If we want to be used by God, then we need to submit ourselves to Him as quickly as possible, not resist Him as long as possible. The second way that God will break a man is through the process of discipline. Hebrews 12, verse seven to 11 says this, endure hardship as discipline, God is treating you as His own children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our own good in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at that time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Between consecration and discipline, discipline is the greater grace, and I'll explain why. When I consecrate myself to God, it is subjective. It is based upon the light that I can see, and the more light I see, the more I consecrate myself to God, but it is still subjective. It's based on how much I can see. Discipline is God's point of view. It is objective, not subjective. God sees his point of view on the matter and he's trying to show me, to change me, and so he brings discipline into my life to train me. But I don't understand why God is saying that and so I struggle with discipline and so sometimes discipline seems more painful than consecration. When my son was two years old, he had this brilliant idea that he wanted to jump off the sofa. So he kept trying to jump off the sofa and I kept catching him and explaining to him why he shouldn't jump off the sofa. But he was very determined and every time I turn my back, he would be back on the sofa. So I went up to him, I put on my most serious face and I said to him, no. And then he started crying. He was crying because daddy has scolded him and he felt hurt. But you know what? He learned and from that time on, he stopped learning to jump off the sofa. He's two years old. He is immature in his thinking. To him as a two years old, he simply cannot understand why I would not let him jump off the sofa. 
He simply could not understand why. It seems like the most natural and fun thing to do. But because he submitted to discipline, even though he could not understand why he can't jump off the sofa, the value of not jumping off the sofa, daddy's point of view got imbued into him and he stopped learning to jump. He stopped trying to jump off the sofa. That is discipline. One day we will understand why God says this and why God says that and why God wants us to walk with him a certain way. But submission is not to understand everything. Submission is simply to submit that this is God's point of view and I'm going to learn from it. Children are much easier to discipline because children assume that their parents know better. And so they're always trying to learn from their parents how to see the world. The problem is once we become adults, we are difficult to discipline because we think that we understand it all, we think that we know it all, and when God challenges what we believe in, we find it very hard to let go. In English, when we talk about discipline, we often think it's a punishment. You know, I discipline because he has done something wrong. But in the Bible, the word discipline is actually paideia, which means training or education. Discipline is not a punishment from God. It is a grace from God to help transform us into His image. If I don't recognize that I'm in God's hands and God disciplines me, if I don't recognize discipline in my life, every time something bad happens, I get hurt. I get angry at men and at God, and my relationship with God is affected. But if I recognize that my life, my whole life is in God's hands, every time something bad happens, before I ask for deliverance, I will first ask God, what do you want me to learn from this? And if I can submit the lessons of disciplines in my life, then I will grow much faster in my walk with God. The point of consecration and discipline is to bring light into our life. There is a true light whose name is Jesus. But Jesus also said that you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus wants to raise us up so that his light will be seen through our lives. But if we have no light in us, then we are not very useful to him. Now consider this. Imagine that there is a big cross here. And this cross is full of light. In fact, this whole auditorium, this whole room is dark. This is the only source of light in the room. I am not the source of any light. I am a glow-in-the-dark Ushi. You seen one of those before? The closer I get to the light, the more light I absorb, and then I give off a little glow of light based on what I have received. The closer I am to the light, the brighter I glow. The further I walk from the light, the darker or dimmer I am. Now imagine that I'm standing over here. This whole room is dark. That's the only source of light. Technically, I'm under the rays of light, so you could say I'm in the light, technically. But practically, I'm so far from the light that I'm more surrounded by darkness than light. Now, let's say I have an issue of addiction to gambling, and God convicts me and says, you need to stop gambling, it's affecting your family, and it's robbing your children of the fullness of the childhood they should have with you. If I get defensive to God and I say, Lord, I earn the money, I spend the money. I've been gambling for years, I know what I'm doing, you mind your own business. If I have that attitude to God, I'm turning away from God towards the darkness. The Bible says that if your eyes, your spiritual eyes are unhealthy, 
How great is the darkness in the body? If what was meant to be light is darkness, how great is that darkness? My spiritual eyes were meant to behold the cross, to behold Jesus and receive light and truth upon truth and I was meant to grow. But if I turn away from him, if I resist him, then no light comes into my life. I cannot understand God's way. But if I submit to God and I say, God, you are right and I'm sorry, help me to get over this addiction. I turn and I face the light. Already light is coming into my eyes. I haven't moved, I haven't matured as a Christian, but simply the change in posture towards God has already allowed more light to come into my life. This is called repentance. Repentance is turning from our own way of doing things, our own way of seeing things, to turning towards the Lord. Now, if my posture is right and I submit to God, He's able to bring consecration and discipline into my life and I begin to move closer to the light. More and more light begins to come into my life. At some point, I look at myself and where in the dark, I used to think I was finely dressed. I used to think that I was full of light and wisdom. Now, under true light, I see that I'm a wretched man in a pitiful state. The things that I used to be so attracted to in the dark, I see it clearly now and I'm repulsed by it. I'm amazed that I was once attracted to these things. And as I walk more and more, closer and closer to the light, at some point, I begin to pick up scripture. The same verses that I had known since Sunday school now fill me with joy of Jesus. I see it on a new level, a new depth, and I'm so full of joy at the truth I see, I begin to read it out, and there is life when I declare the same scriptures. Hold on to this guy here. This guy is still here reading out scriptures. Over here is another man. He has always lived in the dark. He knows that there is a light over there, but everyone has told him that that light is a bad thing. And so he has never gone towards the light. But now he hears the voice of someone in the light reading out truth and life and something in him turns and he knows that that light is actually a good thing and he begins walking towards the light. Soon, this man also will find his own path towards the light. That is how God uses someone who is in the light to reach someone in the darkness. There is another man who is here. He used to walk towards the light, but at some point, he got distracted. He got distracted by the stock market, by social media, TV programs, video games. It's almost as if he's in, like hypnotized, you know? he's like in the dream state, walking away from the light, chasing these things. But then he hears the voice of the one in the light declaring truth and life, and it's as if the spell is broken, and he turns back, and he starts walking towards the light. That is the ministry that you and I do to one another. Isaiah says that all we are like sheep who have gone astray, each of us turning to go our own way. Some days, I am a silly little sheep and I might turn and walk my own silly little way. And I need your help, your ministry, to turn me back to the cross. Maybe one day through God's grace, I will do the same for you, but we all need the ministry of one another. Now, coming back to the guy who was um, reading the truth in the light. It would be very silly for that man to think, man, look at me, I'm glowing, I am light. Guys, guys, look at me, I am light. It would be very silly of that Ushi to draw attention to himself. God would say, Ushi, know your place. 
In the same way, it would be very silly for those who will turn, instead of walking towards the light, they begin to walk towards the ushi. And then when that silly little sheep ushi goes his own silly little way, all those who were looking at him will go, oh, my faith, my faith has been damaged. My faith is fallen because his faith has fallen. Really, if your faith can fall because of another man's faith, then at some point you took your eyes off Jesus and you put your eyes on man. The glory of God is like a jigsaw puzzle. You imagine a hundred piece jigsaw puzzle and it's completed and it's beautiful. Now, imagine if I take away two pieces, 98 pieces left, still enough to kind of make out what the picture should be, but the experience is completely different. Something is very dissatisfying looking at the 98 piece jigsaw puzzle. This is how it is with the glory of God. After this service, after any service, when you go out, if our hearts are fully rejoicing in God and we praise God and we talk about God and we are thinking about Jesus and the joy that we get from Him, that's 100% glory. But if we give Jesus 100% glory and 2% to the preacher or the worship team, we have missed for ourselves the full glory of God for that moment. Don't praise man in your heart. Any person that you think God is using, God can raise up another one just like that. Man is not important. Fix your eyes on Jesus, praise Him always, rejoice in Him always in your heart, then you will see the full glory of God, and not just you, but this whole church will see the full glory of God. At this point, I'm gonna go off on a tangent. So those of you who are taking FCC.live notes, just put your phones down. Uh, I'm just gonna stray. I wanna spend the rest of my time talking to you about the position of a man's spirit and soul under the light. I remember the first time I encountered God, the first time I met the Lord. I had already been saved many years. It was at a mission conference and there was a missionary talking about missions. And as he was talking, I was thinking to myself, I'm gonna be a doctor, I'm gonna earn lots of money, I'm gonna retire early, and between the time of my retirement to the time I die, I'm gonna go on missions and chalk up some points with God before I meet God. I had my whole life planned out for me. And just when I was thinking that, the audible voice of God came to me. I've only ever heard the audible voice of God twice in my life, this was the first time. And he said to me, if you don't go now, you will never go. And I knew what he was saying. He was not addressing salvation because I was already saved. He wanted me to give up all these grand plans I had for myself to follow him. And so I said, Lord, I will go. I will follow you. And from that day on, light began to come into my life. I, I didn't become a good person straight away. There was so much rubbish in my life I had to clear up, and God is still clearing up all that rubbish in my life. But I began to see life differently from God's perspective. I'll give you an example of two things that changed in me from that day. The first is that I became convicted that I should only speak when God prompts me to speak. Before that encounter, when I went to a Bible study meeting or any Christian meeting, I always have to have my voice heard. I always have to say something. Especially in Bible study, because I have a bit of knowledge and because I have a sharp mind, I would observe things and I would say things that would impress others, even impress myself. But after Lord convicted me that I should only speak when He wants me to speak, I shut my mouth and for months I didn't say very much. So people around me noticed the difference and they asked me, are you okay? Are you upset about something? I was fine, I was just learning to die to myself. 
Sometimes I couldn't resist it. I would have this great point of intellectual enlightenment that I knew nobody else would see, and I couldn't resist it. I just had to say it. And after I said it, it would fall to the ground and nothing, nothing would happen. And then after months of being dealt with by the Lord, the Lord asked me to release a most simple truth. I was almost embarrassed to release it because I thought everyone knows this truth. But yet when I spoke it, the atmosphere in the room changed and there was life in that meeting. And so from experiences like that, I become even more convicted that nothing I bring to any meeting is based on my intellectual enlightenment, how smart my points or observations are. All that matters is whether or not God is behind my words, whether or not there is life in the words I speak. The second thing that God dealt with me was that in any major decision in my life, all I needed to consider was what was His will for me. Going through medical school, I would see my classmates and they would all be discussing what specialty they wanted to do when they graduated. Some would say, I want to do this specialty because I'm passionate for it. I love it and I love this and I like this. They were following their heart to choose their path in life. Others would say, I want to do this specialty because it's easier to get in, because it's closer to my family, I can work here. It was all very logical processing. So they were using their intellect to lead where the rest of their life would go. But I thought to myself, if I know the voice of God, the will of God on this issue, it doesn't matter whether I like it or not. It doesn't matter whether it makes sense to me or not. I'm going to do it because it's God's will. And so I decided not to follow my heart or my mind. And so over the years then, I began to train how to hear the voice of God in my own life. You don't hear, you don't learn to hear the voice of God by reading books on it or listening to sermons. You learn to hear God's voice by dying to yourself and living a life of consecration, obedience to Him. You move when He moves and you don't move if He doesn't say anything. The voice of God is spirit. Unless our soul and our flesh die and become quiet, we cannot hear the voice of the spirit. Worship team, you can come up, please. I'm not saying that our intellect and our emotions are no use, that we should ignore them completely. Not at all. They make up our soul, they make up our personality. There is a place for these things, but these things are of the soul. The soul follows the spirit, the soul never leads the spirit. Let me explain. If the spirit says, talk to the guy across the room, my body has to physically get up and walk over. When I'm near him, I have to actually engage in conversation using my brain and my emotions. But the whole encounter is spirit-led. In the Gospels, there were two people who loved Jesus, but they followed him in a very soulish manner and they didn't get very far. One was Nicodemus. He came to Jesus asking how to be born again and he came with a very intellectual mindset trying to understand it and he didn't get very far. And then there was Peter, the disciple, who followed Jesus based on how he felt and he would boast about how much he loved Jesus. But by the end of the Gospels, he's denied Jesus three times. But yet, you move forward a few pages in the Bible, just a few pages to the book of Acts, and you see a very different Peter. You see a Peter who is used mightily by God, but now he is no longer boasting about how much God loves him. He's boasting about, uh, sorry, he's not boasting about how much he loves God. He's boasting about how much God loves him, and he's being led in the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. He's being led in the Spirit to lead, to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Just as Jacob 
in the Old Testament wrestled with God and received a physical hip injury for life, it seemed like Peter wrestled with God on this issue and he received an injury on his soul that always made him humble before the Lord. Jesus never denied the love of Peter. In the last chapter of John, Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And whatever measure of love Peter could give to him, Jesus accepted and he commissioned him. So Jesus accepted the love of Peter. But what Jesus needed Peter to know is that you cannot walk with me based on your emotions. You must walk with me based on the spirit. You and me, consider this issue of salvation and i end on this. We understand in our head that salvation is important, that reaching out to the lost is important. We understand with our hearts that missions is important and we give to missions. But yet, why is it so many of us have not shared the gospel with someone for months, even years? Why is it there is no burning passion, burning passion in my soul to cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, give me souls, give me salvations, use me to reach the lost. Why is it I'm not broken in my heart for the lost? That's because I don't have spiritual light on that issue. As I walk closer and closer to the light, at some point, Jesus will share His heart with me and then I catch it in my spirit. It is a spiritual renovation that happens and I become burdened for the lost. It is not something you can suck yourself up. It's not something you can will yourself to want. It is something that the Lord just touches you and then you are broken for Him on that issue permanently. That is spiritual light in a man. There is no shortcut to getting spiritual light in our life. We have to walk the path of consecration and discipline. It's a rugged path, and by the time God is done with us on this path, even if we only make it to the beginning point where He can use us, not even the end of our life, just the beginning point where He is able to start using us, even at that point, there will be wounds on our soul. There will be wounds on our soul that will mark us as being broken enough for God that spirit life can come out of us. There is no ministry without the cross. If we want to share in the ministry of Jesus, then we must also carry our own cross. Ministry is not a title or position in the church. Ministry is a life that God is able to use to release spirit life to those around Him. That is our charge. That is our call, that is our ministry. We are not called to be leaders of this and leaders of that, but we are called to have surrendered lives to God, so surrendered, so broken, that He can use our lives wherever we are to release spirit life to others. The altar call this morning is very simple. If you are willing to say to God, God, I want that light in my life. I want to be broken for the things that your heart is broken for. And I want to see truth that I've never seen before. I want to see the glory of Jesus as I've never seen before. Lord, I want that light and I'm willing to lay everything down at the altar for that light. Then if that's you as we sing, then come up and pray to God. This morning, the altar is not your wallet. Take your wallet off, put yourself on the altar. And like Elijah, when there's a sacrifice, fire will come down, light will come down from heaven. As you come here this morning and as you pray, the ministry team and I, 
what we will do, we don't want to interrupt you this morning. It's going to be very personal. We might put our hands on your shoulders. And what we are doing is that we are praying that God will come and encounter you in a powerful way, just as you come forward to encounter Him. Maybe for some of you, you'll get a vision. Maybe for some of you, you'll get a burden in your heart, a burden for a nation, a people group, a burden for the lost, or maybe just a burden for a family member or a colleague. For some of you, it will be this burden for great intimacy that you just feel so hungry for intimacy with the Lord that you start to cry. That's okay and that's good. And maybe for some of you, it's just a conviction of some areas in your life that you need to change. But whatever it is, we just wanna pray that God will meet with you powerfully. So if you are willing, willing, I guess, to lay everything down at the feet of Jesus, to receive that light, then as we sing, I invite you to come and we minister.